This is the show. This is the party. Nobody chose their mortal body. The skin we're in. The podcast you're listening to it yeah it is it's been a while thanks for coming back this is a bit of the backlog i'm trying to get through before michelle and i drop that's right the first episode for season three if there is such a thing this is another conversation with my good friend who is a great musician wonderful human being wonderful mental health professional, Tad Lusk. We totally nerd out in music. And that being said, this is why this one is the first from the drop in a series that's coming rapid fire because this one goes out to my mother who is currently recovering from the surgery. I don't want to get into really anything specific, but she's doing great. And I want to thank my sister for those updates. She tells me the surgery went well and my mom is in fantastic spirits. From there, I want to keep this going with why is this to my mom, apart from that she's my mom and she's she's awesome, is she's challenged me, well she, I'm challenging myself to stop using so many of these, you know, so much profanity, so many curse words on here, I'm not going to stop doing it, but I am going to do my best to kind of dial it back a bit, because it's not that hard. Secondly... Uh, my mom and I did a cool thing, which hopefully I have more news for you guys uh, very soon. I'm going to make sure I research how people's names are pronounced before I bring them up on the podcast as best as possible. No more purposely mispronouncing Ben Shapiro's last name. I think what he does is irresponsible, is negative. What he puts out into the ether as far as his politics is bad. But there's no reason for me to be just purposely pronouncing his name last wrong. His, his last name wrong. Whoops. Um, so I'm going to do that. Again, this was a great conversation with my friend Tad. Uh, I asked him today before I even did this intro, what do you want me to post? And he said, let's do all the color. It's Pan Astral's newest single. It's awesome. And I said, yeah, that's, that was my plan. Also, we discuss it here on the actual conversation, which I know is a little old because it's from late June. It's right around Tad's birthday. So happy birthday, Tad. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you to Pan Ast for letting us use this awesome song. And thank you, Mother. Thank you, Mom. And I hope you do well. And thank you to all of you. weekend i got some good time with my family it was my birthday on saturday happy birthday 
thanks. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I got to uh, just have like a, you know, fun day. Went down to Washington Park, which is kind of one of my favorite places here. Mm-hmm. And, it's, uh, it's lovely. Yeah. And uh, like I said, spent spent some good time with family and stuff. And um, yeah, so things are things are pretty good overall. That's good. It, what was the like kind of gospel type gig you posted about getting to play, I think, here soon? Yeah, actually, uh, this Saturday, I'm going to be playing. Um, so there's a, a group that I've played with for, gosh, I guess about maybe six or seven years now uh, called More Than Music, um, which is uh, sort of a large collective of, of musicians, but it's also a nonprofit. And um, so the the guy who, who runs that um, and uh, is the leader of that, he was a worship leader for a long time and uh, okay. a really amazing songwriter and singer and uh, keyboard player and everything. Uh, but he's essentially um, launched a new project called Blue Gospel Scripts, um, which I think we launched where we started kind of workshopping it and stuff about... I want to say maybe two years ago or a year and a half ago, something like that. Um, and uh, have been every few months or so doing a show that is basically each show focuses on a different book of the Bible or a different section of the Bible. Um, and kind of, it brings it to life through li- uh, live music and uh, spoken word and multimedia and um, different things like that. That sounds super um, interesting. Yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to, to be a part of. And I think, so it officially launches um, August 3rd, but we're doing kind of the last um, performance before they, they launch the whole thing um, and are going to end up working chronologically all the way through the, the Bible from beginning to end. Um, oh, wow. For three weeks. Um, so this show uh, that we're doing Saturday is uh, going to be at, at DU, the University of Denver. Um, and uh, yeah, it should be. Should be fun. This is the last one before the official launch, I guess you could say. So, so this is the, like preview yeah. kind of show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's been uh, it's been fun to be a part of good good music and that really there's always an amazing group of musicians there and um, so it's been it's been a lot of fun. And is it kind of changed up stylistically based off of what the different book of the Bible you're doing, or is it kind of just you know everything or or is there kind of a general stylistic kind of feel to the group throughout <clears throat> yeah i would say um the general general style i guess you could call it gospel or, or modern gospel um but uh dave lemieux the guy who runs it um he writes a lot of the music as well and so a lot of it's uh very very blues and kind of jazz based um and like i said uh, uh gospel and and then we'll we'll do some some cover songs in there as well uh, occasionally i think we did what was it we did uh when love comes to town um oh cool so yeah so it's i would say it's kind of bluesy gospel based for the most part and then of course depending on the show or depending what what book it is it's uh the song the song choices uh, fit with that so and i think he's actually been writing a lot of original music for each show which is uh, which is pretty cool yeah that's not easy to do <laughs> yeah it's it's really amazing um how how uh prolific um 
he he can be um so yeah it's quite a quite an undertaking that they're doing so it's been fun to be a part of there's just some people that can just churn out that kind of creative work yeah and it's hard to believe because you'll sit there and try and uh, try and do it yourself and get bogged down and i don't know with <laughs> with me on guitar well, I'll get bogged down. I'm like, wait, this riff, there's something missing from it. So it's, how do you ever move on from that? Yeah. yeah or how do you not get bogged down in a riff and actually make it work? <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. I know what you mean. Um, and uh, in some ways, I feel like I've never quite had that songwriter uh, gene. I don't know if it's, I mean, it's a, it's a discipline, obviously. But, um, but yeah, like you were saying, I, I think some people seem to be able to open that valve and, and, and really sort of buckle down and get songs done pretty quickly. Um, and I've, I've never been one of those people, but, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. I'd, I'd actually be interested to talk to him a little bit more and kind of hear what his pro, you know, his process yeah. is like or writing or, um, how, how he manages to <laughs> manages to do it, but it's impressive. One of the strangest processes I've, I think I've ever heard as far as songwriting was Jerry Berganzi was talking about when he writes songs and for uh, those of you who don't know, Jerry Berganzi is a prolific, well, he plays more than just saxophone. He's mainly known as a jazz saxophonist. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to be anywhere near an instrument. He just sits down <clears throat> with uh, you know, staff on a sheet of paper mm -hmm. and just writes it that way. And I've tried doing it that way before. And, and I end up playing it. I'm like, this doesn't actually sound very good. Like, sure, the ideas of, like, how I'm writing the intervals and the, you know, and, the, and also, the, like, the notes or the, how it relates to the chords in theory was good. But then you start playing, like, but this doesn't actually make, there's nothing catchy about it. And so that was yeah. an interesting way that he did it. And my own, if I do have a process, is really just kind of, noodling around and then kind of going oh i like what this is doing and mm -hmm. then occasionally going oh wait i remember doing something that sounded good before that'll work with this yeah right sure but then there are all also people that can just sit down with uh just a program on a computer and just write a song an entire arrangement mm -hmm. the uh <clears throat> this isn't obviously arranging but the former director of bands at the University of Northern Colorado up in Greeley, he was known to, on a bus ride back from a band festival or a marching band thing, just listen to a symphony and transcribe the entire thing. Wow. Yeah, he's... <laughs> we had him come to our high school and give clinics to our win ensemble. And we're always thinking... Oh, this guy's crazy. And every time, uh, I, I don't mind sharing his name because he, he's obviously brilliant and he's he's actually a very nice man. Uh, Dr. Ken Singleton, whenever you come to our high school, I'm like, oh, we have to deal with him again because he's he's eccentric. And you're like, ah, there there's not that much to this. Like we're playing a piece that actually he transcribed called Russian Liturgy. Uh -huh. Growing up Lutheran, I was in the handbell choir. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> and that was like the coolest thing as far as music at that particular church. Yeah. And for this Russian liturgy piece, at the end, it's this just 
triumphant brass fanfare. Mm -hmm. And he basically was like, it doesn't, he's like, well, I did write the woodwind parts out for this. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because no one can hear you. Mm -hmm. So we made us play handbells. I was like, this is the only, well, to this date, that was the only time I'm like, aha, my handbell experience from when I was nine years old is paying off. <laughs> that's right. But that's, that's really cool. I got to college and we were recording some stuff. I think the university was getting paid for it. We were recording some pieces that uh, I think like a sheet music company was releasing. And so we were the just studio band, if you will, for that. And he goes, he stops the whole ensemble from the back of the uh, back of the concert hall and goes, uh, Noel, you're flat in measure whatever on note blank. Wow. And I was the second bass clarinet player. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, oh, yep. He's absolutely right. I'm going to doubt him for a second. <laughs> wow. It's almost like a uh, musical version of a photographic memory or something where it really know, is like to take all that information in and then sort of codify it in your brain and and know not only what each instrument sounds like but i guess at that point knowing what each individual musician in that group sounds like yeah he's like no that wasn't uh leslie who was the other bass clarinet player that was obviously no <laughs> Which I guess could have been because I wasn't nearly the clarinet player that Leslie was or is. Yeah. But might have also had to do with the fact that I was a saxophone player pretending to play clarinet. Well, I wonder if that's uh, um, like if you know having a ability like that. I wonder if that would get like I wonder if he has the if he can turn that off. In other words, can can he just sort of take in so, right? <laughs> can kind of have fun with it I, I mean i'm sure he has fun with it but I'm, I'm wondering it almost seems like that would be annoying after a while to have that level of um detail in, in your scrutiny you know in terms mm -hmm. of when you're listening to music sometimes you like sometimes you just want to take in the entire the entirety of it without necessarily noticing yeah little <laughs> flaws you know or I I thought about that too, with because obviously he probably has perfect pitch, but mm -hmm. when people have that, and you're like, I was thinking about this the other day. We played a transcription of a Duke Ellington tune when I was actually in high school and in college in jazz band. Mm -hmm. And there's one part where that's kind of like it's building, 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 and it hits like there's kind of a brief pause, then the whole band hits this note. And on the original recording, the low winds all kind of go and bend up into the like they start flat and bend up into it. Uh huh. And it sounds like something that has the the potential to go horribly wrong. It does, and you know, you've played with me before in different ways, and know that I like to try and emulate how recordings sound. Mm -hmm. So I don't mind really just blatantly hitting something flat and bending up like in getting it into pitch and i remember someone in the band going it sounds like a train wreck <laughs> like that's how it sounds in the recording until they bring it into like <laughs> where it's actually in tune right and so i don't know if uh 
if you can hear the beauty in temporary flaws or like I don't I don't even know if that was on purpose like because uh, <laughs> I recall uh, as a freshman in college the saxophone professor walking around with a tuner out and it was actually playing a note but it also could tell like what you know how flat or sharp you were sure. and he holds it out and I start playing and I immediately notice I'm flat so I just kind of start bending up towards the pitch and he like pulls the saxophone out of my mouth and goes, no stop 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 we're trying to see how you need to adjust <laughs> like oh, oh sorry <laughs> sorry okay <laughs> Like, I was just trying to match the pitch. Like, yes, but not do that. By, the way you do it on a saxophone is you push your mouthpiece farther in on the neck or pull it out. Oh, okay. Right. To, to sort of tune it more or less. Yeah. It would be like, you know, if you're tuning a guitar and, well, I guess you wouldn't necessarily do this. You wouldn't tune a guitar by actually holding down a note. And you play it, notice you're flat or sharp and just bend it. Mm-hmm. Sure, <laughs> sure. That's that, not going to work. That does happen sometimes. I mean, I've, I've had times when I've been in the in the middle of a song and, and you don't get a chance to tune. You know, usually if, the, if I have some rest, like if I have a space, I can tune pretty quick. You know, because mm-hmm. I tell like this, okay, this that speed string's a little bit flat or whatever. But I've had times when, for whatever reason, the song requires me to keep playing and and you have to just consciously make sure to bend that note a little bit every time, or, you know, bend huh. that every time you hit it a little bit. I mean, that's why I obviously always try to, always try to make sure it's in tune. So I don't have to worry about that, but occasionally. So you you're, uh, you're getting some kind of the treatment as a wind player. Cause with a, with a saxophone, there are a few notes that are consistently going to be like in tune. Mm-hmm. So that's like for, um, in this case, he was walking around, playing a concert A and on a tenor saxophone, that's going to be a B on an alto saxophone. It's going to be an F sharp. And both of those, because of whatever reason, the way that that instrument is set up are pretty much going to be in tune. So there's not much you can do. As long as you are, you've got your mouthpiece in the right spot. It's going to be pretty hard to be too off, but there are other notes on the saxophone that just, are notoriously flat or notoriously sharp. And if you're, especially if you're getting the upper register where everything wants to be sharp because you're just kind of squeezing. Yeah. And so not only do you kind of have to be like, what are my tendencies here and try and use your ear to pull it back to where it's supposed to be. There are times when you're like, huh, what is going on with my technique today where I'm actually flat on this? Yeah. <laughs> and so you're tightening up to try and get sharp. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, that really like gets into the, where music gets so physical at times, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. When I was in eighth grade, I had this piece of orthodontia in the top of my mouth that was meant to basically kind of push my teeth and like almost my jaw farther apart. Mm. And after they took that thing out, I was so, so sharp that I almost had to pull the mouthpiece off of the neck. Oh, because you had just gotten used to yeah. playing this, I guess, huh? And that was, uh, we talked about this in the last podcast, where 
right after they pulled that out, I had my audition for jazz band at the high school level where the band director said I had a deep bluesy tone. So who knows what kind of weird compensating things I was doing for the fact that <laughs> I couldn't get the tongue to the top of my mouth anymore. <laughs> but, but either way, it gave you a deep bluesy tone. It did, which he was not a fan of. <laughs> and to be fair, I don't think it was probably very good at that time. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> But hey, you, you just, you know, you can just take it and take it and run with it. True. And that is a inadvertent segue to something I actually do have a note to talk about tonight. So I've got, we, we didn't get any email questions for you, uh, which I'm not surprised about because most emails I get for the blog are people, and it's reliable, who either take offense to, not take offense, or just trying to tell me why they are fans of Bernie Sanders. Okay. <laughs> or why they are voting for Donald Trump. Okay, so it's kind of more more the political... Um... True, and it's reliably those two positions. <laughs> it's, oh, okay. That's interesting. Which, uh, and they're, they're typically friends and family. I, I do get occasional emails, haven't in a while, but at, at the beginning where they were like, these mixes are kind of rough. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, after I fixed it, they're like, sounds better. <laughs> nice. uh, but I was talking with my friend, uh, this is going to sound odd, Julia, not my wife, who's also named Julia, but a different yeah. Julia, about, because she was mentioning like her kind of, the iconic guitar player she thinks of and it was Hendrix and Slash. And there was someone else. Oh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, because she lives in Austin. So she's okay. She's very well-versed in Stevie Ray Vaughan, because I guess they have a statue down there. Uh-huh. And if uh, when it floods really bad, Stevie Ray Vaughan gets submerged in water, which is, I don't think was the intention, but is some... Uh... <laughs> That's some... some... Something poetic, indeed. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I don't <laughs> think it's intentional. I guess the statue is by a lake, but okay. but still. Uh, <laughs> and I guess like the worst floods, he'll be completely underwater. Oh and, wow! Okay. And the locals will gauge how bad like rainfall has been by how much underwater he is, like you know what level it is on the statue. <laughs> They're like, oh man, it got up to uh, got up to Stevie's belt, uh, <laughs> or it got up to you know doing that in the news as opposed to like here was the rainfall for today. Where's <laughs> <laughs> Stevie? They uh, when he when he disappears entirely, which um, he did a while back, obviously, bastard. Um, <laughs> so those were like the three she was talking about, and then she threw in Prince. And I said, I wasn't trying to talk bad about him or anything or say that he wasn't, like, obviously a prolific, amazing guitar player, musician, everything. And I was like, no, I, I just don't think he belongs up there in a sense of, like, kind of essential guitar tones you kind of think about. Or, like, people who had sure those guitar tones that people are always trying to match. Yeah, right. Am I sort of correct in that, or am I uh, besmirching Prince's good name? 
No, yeah, I mean, I um, th- I think that makes sense. Yeah, because I, and I should like preface by saying that I am not a, um, th- like I, I really only have a cursory knowledge to Prince's music. I, for whatever reason, he was never a guy that I dove deep into. I think it uh, might be our age, although Julia is basically our age as well. Okay. Yeah, and I know, likewise, I know people that are my age or younger that that are really into Prince. So, um, but for whatever reason, I he was just not somebody that was ever on my radar for a long period of time where like I really dove into his music and stuff like that. But I think like what you're saying is that there those uh, some of those other players really if not reinvented the, the instrument, they, they just sort of, they brought their own type of style and, and a, approach and, and tone that became, that becomes like synonymous with that guy mm-hmm. where like, where you, you hear a sound and you're like, Oh, that's the, that's the, you know, the Stevie Ray sound or yeah, that, that sounds like slash, you know, on a Marshall plexi or it's like the Hendrix and you got the, the fuzz and the, the univibe and wah and all the stuff that he did with it feedback. So there, there's like the, all of those guys have a very, very distinctive sound. And I guess when I think of Prince, uh, because he was so prolific and played so many um, instruments and recorded so much music. Yeah. I think his tone probably was, it fit, you know, kind of whatever song or album he was working on, but I don't necessarily think of a, like, oh, that's the Prince guitar sound. But again, I could be, there might be people out there going crazy because, you know, because I don't know his stuff for, as well. Um, that's generally what I was trying to tell her as well was to me, and I'm kind of the same camp of you, is I, there's nothing where I like listen to it or even my memory banks where I go, okay, you know, this is the Prince song you have to hear. It's, I heard it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is great, but it's not necessarily something I go back and listen to all the time. Mm -hmm. And I always think of him as, we talked about in that last podcast, where everything he does serves the purpose of the song Mm -hmm. because he is, that's why he was not just a great artist, but a phenomenal producer for Mm -hmm. most of his life because it's, yeah, yeah, he can absolutely shred in the guitar and I... And don't doubt that in his lifetime would have possibly been able to match up, if not better, guitar players we, we've been mentioning. Mm-hmm. But you just don't think of guys with prolific sound or styles that were that influential and put that with Prince. At least I don't. And it sounds like you don't sure. necessarily either, which maybe we should listen to Prince and figure that out. But uh, that was because with like Slash and I like Slash. I don't necessarily think he's a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, I was watching months ago. I don't necessarily recommend it because I don't know how entertaining it is if you're not a guitar player, but have you seen Blood, Frets, and Tears? (laughs) No, I haven't actually. It's on Amazon Prime and they've they interview a lot of guys who are just shredders who I hadn't really heard of before. And like they play and you're like, oh my God, those guys are insane. And it's kind of, they, they kind of do what we were talking about with going through and finding guys that were like 
hey, this is the guy that defined this generation, that's defined this style. Sure. And after a while, they kind of... Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, Yang... I was like, Yang... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ingve. That's what the first name is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's... Is it Malmsteen? Is yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And he's this guy who, along with... I guess they kind of tossed some shade at Eddie Van Halen and saying there was a bunch of guys, especially in Southern California, that were doing similar things. But Eddie Van Halen kind of managed to market it a little bit better and also find a way to make it work in almost pop kind of rock. Okay, yeah. But Ingve, uh, they're saying like this is a guy that really kind of brought the shredding out as far as guitar playing went. Okay. Right. To the point where <laughs> they're joking about in the documentary that there are guys that couldn't really actually couldn't really classify them as musicians so much anymore. They were just out there doing like almost like stunts on the guitar, just kind of tricks. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of uh, I just I uh, not to not to sidetrack too much. Oh no no go ahead. Of, I remember seeing um <laughs> It was on TV a long time ago. I don't know if it was ESPN or something, but it was like sort of stunt um, golfers. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, they would sort of, they would have these kind of wacky um, trick clubs yeah. and, and they would do these crazy things where they would like, this guy had a, the head of the club was on a rope, you know, and he would swing it around and like <laughs> throw the ball up and hit it out of the air and hit like a perfect drive and <laughs> stuff like that. And it's like, it's not like necessarily golf proper, but it's like a stunt. <laughs> it's like a yeah. stunt. <laughs> like that, that's really cool, but it's not something where you can like watch it for a while or in this case, kind of listen to it for a while. Or like, wow, that guy's amazing. Anywho, um, <laughs> I was actually just talking with, uh, actually texting my friend Ross last week so i finally after how many years of just having it sit in the closet pulled out my uh clarinet and was playing it last week and so ross who i know from my music days at unc who's a clarinet player we were talking about some guys who were uh, in a saxophone studio there and there was this one guy who played this piece that was i, I don't know if there's like an equivalent that might be a good question. Is there like a kind of something that if on guitar, if you can play it, it's like, oh my gosh, like it, it's rare air as far as like so either, either someone's solo or like a piece of music? Mm, that's a good question. Um, gosh, I'm sure there are. I mean, I feel like I've seen there, like there's, uh, what was it called? There's a Eddie Van Halen, uh, solo that's that's kind of like that um and it's on one of their first albums i think um, i know i remember watching the rush documentary and they were talking with the drummer from pantera and he was saying that the like piece that when he was a kid if drummers could play along with uh lavia strange strange Jada, that uh, was like that was the drummer's like like almost like holy grail kind of a thing Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, so anyways, this guy was playing this piece of music called Steady Study on the Boogie. And it's, there's no piano accompaniment. It's just alto saxophone. 
and it requires nonstop circular breathing, which <laughs> I cannot do. I've never even really attempted it because I'm like, I'm not sure I even want to try that. Yeah. And all these other things on saxophone, which are really difficult, slap tonguing, multiphonics, which I can do, but it's almost like a parlor trick where I, I toss it in and be like, hey, look what I can do here. I can't actually do it while I'm like playing sheet music. Mm-hmm. And it's it's got to be almost ten minutes long. It's it is a feat of just technical mastery. Wow! And it's like, oh my gosh! Like, and you get done with it. And if you're a musician, especially a saxophone player, you're going, wow! But if you're anyone else, you're going, what the hell was that? It's yeah. <laughs> so, so you yeah. So there's it's it's specific to things that are that are challenging to do on the saxophone yeah and it's yes. like who this was but i guess just like you're watching a sporting event and someone does something that you know is ridiculously hard to do but doesn't score a point or whatever it's yeah, almost sure. like that where you're like you kind of just it doesn't appeal to the layman but you're like the, the people who are kind of more into it are like oh my goodness do you know fucking hard that was right yeah that there's um you know i i was just reminded of a video i saw um a few months ago or something and it was it looked like a fairly young guy like young kid and he, he was playing sort of finger style acoustic guitar um but he was playing an arrangement of um a classical piece and i and i want to say it was like it was like ode to joy or something like that it was like something that's usually a symphonic piece um and he had arranged it so that you you're essentially hearing all the parts and the way he was performing this um with the sort of the slaps and the harmonics and the slides oh, all these different things it was really phenomenal and it was kind of one of those things that was also but it, but it was also very musical. It was very yeah. inspiring. You know, it was, it was, um, even if you had no idea, if you had never seen a guitar in your life, uh, you would still, you, you would still just be impressed by the music and be like, oh, that was really beautiful. Um, but I think it's like you said, that's, that's can be a rare thing when, when there's times when virtuosity sort of overshadows the, the musicality or something um but that was one of those ones that was like a rare example of where it, it, it seemed to blend both pretty well <laughs> you you know you inadvertently did another segue for me okay <laughs> so exactly to that point years ago i had only been sort of tangentially familiar with dream theater because i was playing for a hot second, I was asked to play bass. Actually, this is kind of where my bass, I won't call it career, but bass even interest came from, was some guys I went to UNC with were like, hey, no one in Greeley goes out to see live jazz, because for as good as the jazz program is there, the jazz musicians there didn't get any gigs, unless we went to Denver which yeah. made Denver super competitive, which it right. already was and you know, is probably even more so now. So these guys were like, you know what we should do? Let's start up 
a classic rock slash country band. And for some reason, and they, they, they explained this to me, they got it in their head, we need a bass player who's not actually a bass player, who's just a good musician, and maybe you can play guitar, and somehow settled on me, which was interesting, considering that I, especially at the time, I've been less of a jerk about it, in year, like, since years have gone by, but especially at the time, I really, really, really dislike country music. Oh, okay. So let's let's get Noel to do it, because he's a musician. <laughs> oh, and let's also ask him to sing. Wait, but I don't know how to play these songs or <laughs> sing them. <laughs> and... You're like, okay, I don't know the, how to play these songs. I don't know the instrument. I don't like singing, and I don't like country music. <laughs> they want to do all those things. It, to be fair, they were. It was. It was a lot of fun until it was like, "Hey, why aren't you better at this?" Well, um, I'm not a bass player. I'm not a vocalist. I don't like country music. As all these things you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they kind of gave me like a chance to quit on my own, or like they were to find someone else. And I was like, "That's very nice of you. I'll quit uh, because you guys are." They they were all very good. Like, they just like showed up and were playing Stevie Ray Vaughan, the first rehearsal. While I'm like, wait, what? What are we playing? What song is this? Yeah, and they're just counting in. Yeah, it it was just, uh, just incredible. And crap, I forgot where I was going with this now. Music you man. mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned a dream theater. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's right. That's how that tied in. So when I was trying to figure out the bass parts, where one of them went, this isn't like you're playing in Dream Theater or anything. And a few years go by, I'm working at Borders, and we always got these like promo CDs that weren't supposed to go to the public. They just got given away to people who worked there. Mm-hmm. And one of them was, uh, I should look at the album here. Uh, Dream Theater, and it's not the actual name of the. Uh, it was a uh, systematic chaos, and I was like, I'm gonna take this home, and I played through the first few tracks. I'm like, wow, this is really good, and got to Constant Motion, which is still one of my favorite songs, mostly because the guitar solo on that by and I'm gonna get his pronounce his name incorrectly john petrucci oh okay yeah is just this it, it starts off just him super like clean picking everything and playing super fast and just getting louder and louder and faster and faster and like just even talking about it i can hear myself getting pumped up because whenever i listen to it like, <laughs> hell yeah and so i was listening to that <laughs> Over and over and over and over again, and was at a rehearsal for a band that I don't know if they ended up playing on their own, but it was a couple of the guys from or the break after <laughs> that band was no more. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, they're like, what have you been listening to? I was like, I can't stop listening to Dream Theater, and the drummer was like, metal. Maybe, but it's, but it's freaking amazing. <laughs> they're, they're all so, like, 
musically, they're so good. And that's what I was thinking about with John Petrucci or whatever his name is pronounced is that I've watched because I'm now kind of a fanboy watched some things on YouTube about him where they're like, he can do all of the hardest things that there are to do, like at least on metal guitar mm-hmm. seamlessly. But you go, it doesn't seem like he's just up there showing off. It's this all works what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember listening to a power ballad and going, Wow, this kind of because it was years old, so it sounded like late '80s power ballad, but with just the deft touch of a guy who is a master on the guitar. Oh wow! Okay, nice. I'll, uh, I do have that saved to post the uh, songs so if we can hear it. But yeah, it's in all. Yep. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I'll have to go listen to that. I I, I haven't heard that before. Have you ever heard, I think it's Kenny, not Kenny G. Well, it technically is Kenny G, but not that Kenny G. Um, There's a Kenny Garrett album, which features Pat Metheny on it. Mm -hmm. And they play Lonnie's Lament. Kenny Garrett's wonderful dynamic, it's probably one of my favorite solos he ever plays, gets so seamlessly transitioned into Pat Metheny's. Matheny's guitar solo that mm-hmm. first you don't realize that they're different things and that happens in constant motion where it's a guitar solo and all of a sudden you're like wait is that guitar and you're like no that's a keyboard <laughs> oh that's cool yeah I like when that happens when one note uh, yeah I've heard that where like one note will bleed into the other and maybe the, the tone sounds slightly similar so you can't tell and then yeah, because it's, like it's like 10 seconds or something before you realize that exactly in the... this one it's their tones match up so well and also throughout the guitar solo he's kind of adding more and more kind of different tones and sounds to what he and effects to what he's playing so when the keyboard comes in you're like well maybe that's just another level of sound he's adding to it like wait that's a different instrument oh right right that's awesome. Yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've heard that album before. I would not have gotten into it were it not for those guys telling me, don't worry about it. It's not Dream Theater or anything. And that's. Okay. I. <laughs> you remember uh, Matt Heiner, right? Yeah. Uh huh. So in high school, he always used to joke about the band Slayer. Okay. And I've got a friend that I met in college who was legit into Slayer and would play all these super hardcore, different different types of metal for me. And at first there was some of them like, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> we actually were joking about doing a uh, student uh, radio program that was jazz and metal where I would do my best uh, breathy NPR voice and you know we'd play off each other and go between kind of really kind of off the beaten path uh, jazz here is uh, I, can't, I can't remember names <laughs> anymore and he'd be like alright here's Jungle Rot playing um, <laughs> but I played this was four or five years out of high school I played a Slayer song for Heiner and he was like what is this I'm like this is Slayer this is one of their most iconic songs and he's like I didn't realize this was Slayer I'm like what did you think Slayer was? Which is a fair question I could have asked myself, too. <laughs> this is the band you were always joking about. Yeah. 
It's like, no, these guys are, they're really good. One of my favorite bands to this day is Mastodon, who that same friend who I would be like, what are you listening to? Is the one who told me to listen to Mastodon. Okay. And have you heard much of them, Tad? Uh, No, I don't think I have. Hmm. I mean, I've heard of them, but. They're, I guess you can call them lead guitar player, who is, uh, calls himself Dirty B. Hines. His name is Brent Hines. Is, I guess his first instrument was a banjo. Okay. So he's got this, a lot of stuff, like a lot of their studio albums, or studio albums with songs will start off with him kind of picking like it's a banjo. In fact, he plays banjo on some of them. Oh, okay. And he's just this incredibly lyrical guitar player who then goes and talks to blogs about how he hates listening to metal. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And it's just great playing by a guy who he doesn't really sound like he's playing a whole lot of metal. Oh, is he into uh, bluegrass and stuff? Or? He is, and I've watched videos of him playing with like his friends, mm-hmm. and it's this kind of weird, almost like rockabilly stuff. Okay, like that kind of more aggressive. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he's one of the guys. Because I know I've talked to you about this before. How alternate tunings I just don't get. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On so, like on guitar, you're talking about. Yeah, I have the hardest time figuring that stuff out. Where I'll sit down, and be like, "What? What are they doing? <laughs> How are they making that sound?" Oh yeah, that can throw you if you if like if you don't know um, if you don't know that it's in an alternate tuning and you're trying to learn it by ear, that can that can throw you a little bit for sure. Well, and as a guitar player, do you ever sit down and write something and go, "Man, I'm gonna crank this down" or like? just adjust the tuning um i i have before i mean i've i've played in alternate tunings before to get new ideas you know um because hmm. it does sort of it does sort of open you up to thinking just in different ways and you end up playing different chords that you wouldn't necessarily think of huh. other so it can be kind of a nice way to like break out of the box you know when you if you feel like you're playing coming back to the same sort of phrases over and over, you know, it's can be a way to sort of shake things up a little bit, but I, uh, I don't, that. I don't do like some, some people are really master. They really focus in on that really masters of, of that. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I could, I know a couple are alternate tunings, but not very, not very much. I mean, most of the, let's say like 99, percent of the time i'm playing in standard tuning it seems like so which is why it always weirds me out like what are you doing what's going on here but um (laughs) so i try to figure out let's see how well it comes through this mastodon song actually i'm gonna mute it first in case there's a ad um where i'm like what what are they doing here like how is this work because i'm playing it like my guitar doesn't go that low (laughs) what are you doing like that took me (laughs) forever to figure out until I just googled it and oh. there's a YouTube clip of the two guys the two guitar players talking about it okay yeah so it sounded like that low note what was that like drop C or something or, or apparently they do stuff where like in this they have to have different guitars for it 
where they'll go as low as drop A. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I don't yeah. think that one is drop A, but it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, you, you have to have some really uh, heavy strings, I guess. Yeah. Um, so occasionally on, I like to watch this show on, on uh, YouTube called That Pedal Show. And uh, occasionally they'll have guest guitar players come in and just to interview them and talk about their rig and stuff like that. Um, but one of the guys they had on was this guy, Joey Landreth. And uh, he plays in uh, this kind of like, he's tuned down to, to C, I think. Um, so really, really down low. So it mm -hmm. almost gives it the sound like a, like a baritone guitar, not, not quite that low, obviously, but um, it's, uh, it, yeah, it just really gives it a whole different tonality, but he was saying he has to use really heavy strings because I of bet. that. Yeah. Cause how do you not get it like basically flopping off the fretboard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was watching a YouTube video and it was basically the guitar tech guys from, um, Soundgarden. And one of them was showing off Kim Thale's guitars. Mm -hmm. And he's been playing, whether or not it's that same, you're going to have to uh, help me out here, Ted. Is it Gretsch or Gretsch? Uh, Gretsch, yeah. Gretsch. He's been playing like that same model or that same guitar forever. And he's kind of the guy where I remember first, like, no one else plays that. And all of a sudden, it kind of got like a brief comeback and it kind of went away again. Okay, yeah. And he plays strings that are i guess his entire style he wants to play as light as possible so he plays super super light gauge strings oh that's interesting okay which i thought was crazy because i played those especially on that sg i played those because my dad was like oh this is easier and then like i remember the first time i put some heavy gauge strings on the guitar I'm like wow <laughs> like yeah. This just sounds great. <laughs> right. And, um, especially for me, because I don't know. I think I know why I've never been able to be a, even like a functional kind of improviser as far as like solos and guitar goes. But it's, it hasn't really been something that's been my in my bag. So it's like, what, why am I playing these super light gauge strings? If I want to be nimble, when really what I'm doing is just chunking chords. Mm -hmm. And that was, I, I've since sold it, but the first time I actually really liked the Epiphone dot that I used to have was I bought some custom wound heavy gauge strings. I'm like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I Well, I didn't realize that about uh, Kim Thale because I, you know, usually you, you think of their music being so heavy. Exactly. You know? I wouldn't picture that being. Well, his like, playing is so loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I, uh, me and, uh, yeah, my brother and I saw them up at Red Rocks. Um, gosh, I don't know. It was probably ten years ago or something, and it was just a phenomenal show. It was so so great. And I think in the last stages of their band. The only musician in that group that wasn't really a guitar player by trade was Matt Cameron, the drummer. Their bass player is a guitar player. Oh, okay. Yeah, and of course, uh, Chris Cornell could 
you know, played guitar too. And who actually was their original drummer? Is that right? It, he was. So he was drumming. They didn't have a singer. He didn't really want to sing. Didn't really assume he could sing. And then just kind of didn't. I think everyone was like, uh, what? And now his voice is, I've seen it ranked up there with kind of the quintessential rock voices of the ages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, he was incredible. Uh, on that same YouTube video, their bass player, and I'd never heard of this before. Maybe you can, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but my dad used to tell me that after about like a month of playing a lot on the same strings, it was time to change them out because they just don't sound as sharp. Oh, okay. On the on the bass or guitar or anything, really. Oh, okay, gotcha. And, and the so this bass player, he doesn't th- apparently doesn't think that bass strings at least really ha- start sounding like themselves until they've been played for, I, I don't even want to say how long the time, because I can't remember, but it's a long time to the point where his tech catalogs how old each string is. Wow, okay. And, like, he won't play them on stage until strings are a certain age. Is oh, that a thing, or is that just... Uh, us musicians are kind of weird about how thinking some things help more than they do, is that one of those things, or is that a like actual? He's breaking them down, and now they sound better. I think you know. I'm not a obviously not a, a, a bass player, but um, I well, I do know that you know generally, bass players change change strings a lot less frequently than mm-hmm. guitar because they are so much uh, thicker. You can just you, you get more more uh, longevity out of them, but. Um, I don't know. That might be a, I wonder if that's just like per, a personal preference thing. Cause you know, some people like the sound of fresh brand new strings cause they're really bright and crisp and other people really like that kind of more dead uh, or just that, that more worn in kind of sound that you get with older strings. Mm-hmm. So, as far as bass, I, I don't know, but um, that almost sounds like one of those just kind of personal preference sort of things. That's what I was thinking. Cause you know, as a reed player, when you first, I do remember doing this, where I would have in my reed case, and I can, I don't longer have it, but I will post a picture for those of you non-wind music nerds who go, what's a reed case? And what are you doing here? Where I might have like a reed that I, or a few reeds I'd be breaking down for maybe a few days or I actually have some reads now that they pulled up for a while. So you'd probably want to give maybe a month. And those would be, if, if I had to play a concert, I've got these three and I'll play, I'll mess around with these when I warm up. But usually like after a certain point, like you said before, Tad, it'll kind of go dead. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of hear the breakdown in the material that you really want to vibrate. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite there anymore. Sure, and especially on bass, where you kind of want that that chunky kind of vibration, I don't see how that going away. Also, wouldn't it be very hard to tune at that point? Well, you could, yeah. I mean, I think um, usually, like when you get new strings 
on there, it 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 takes them a little bit to break in so that mm-hmm. they stay in tune. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> but then obviously then there's a certain point where I've I've had old old strings on before where it's you know in addition to the sound they they they, they aren't going to hold their tune as well too. So yeah, that's a strat I have here now was it, I bought it used. I wouldn't recommend doing this, but <laughs> I bought it used off of guitarcenter.com. I think, believe it came from upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And it clearly came from someone who actually played it because it has uh... <laughs> crap. I should have looked this up before. Uh, the tuning knobs? Is that what they're called? Yeah, tuning, or, yeah, tuning pegs, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They also have these so you can, you know, the ones in the top, then you get ones in the back where you can kind of like fine tune. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that took me a second when I first got it. Cause I had those like fully open and I put, I put the new strings on and strummed it like, Hey, it sounds great. And strummed it again. What in the hell? And uh, then kind of like got those to the point where they were the right tension. Gotcha. And now that thing, I mean, once you get it in tune, it doesn't get out of tune very fast, or really ever. <laughs> kind of... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's that's neat. The uh, I did take a wire brush to the tops of the pickups because they had a little bit of rust on them, being from upstate New York. Okay. And yeah, it's it's an interesting guitar. <laughs> it wasn't quite what I expected. Also, the guy who apparently owned it before had taken the plate off of the back. Mm-hmm. And so the tremolo had fallen apart. Oh, okay. Wow. But luckily, it was all in the case, and I fixed it. It's like, yeah. Why, why would you do that? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. oh this will... Oh, oh, but... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes I... With, uh, you know, buying used gear, um, it, I'm always a little bit wary in the sense because, uh, you know, people like to do their own thing with it and you know you never know if they've made weird modifications or yeah you know tinkered with something that i don't (laughs) that i wouldn't tinker with you know so it's always like i was end up asking lots of questions makes um, sense like a weird surprise like that you know because i've had i bought used amps and stuff before that had like the wrong you know tubes in them and just oh, weird, gosh. weird stuff like that, you know, where there was one that the guy had kind of rebuilt his own reverb tank in there. And um, yeah, so you just, <laughs> <it's> just <laughs> never, I mean, you can find, I'm sure, you know, you can definitely find gems. And sometimes it's great buying used gear because it, it's, uh, it might be nice and worn in and it's maybe it's been well cared <laughs> for. And, and, you know, you might get a better deal on it and all those good, all that good stuff. But, it always makes me a little bit, a little bit cautious too, you know, because you know, then you find the tinkerer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a exactly. little too far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get like a Frankenstein instrument. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> well, but didn't Van Halen have a Frankenstein? Yeah, but he built that himself, and he yeah. still has it. Like, calm down. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so you and I, well, I think mainly I was uh, talking with you about guitars that you know i always thought i wanted when i was younger last week is there a guitar like that 
was there or is there one for you? Or for, that's horrible. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> was there a guitar like that when you were young? Uh, and or is there one now where you're like, I feel like I gotta get that, even though like, because in my case there were some things I'm like, I want this, even though everyone I've played before before this hasn't really sounded like I want it to. Oh, okay. Um, gosh, I'm tr- you know, that's a good question. Um, I feel like the instrument, the the guitars that I have are ones that I've been really happy with and that uh, that I'm probably going to keep playing for life, you know, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I, I will say I've never, for whatever reason, I've never really been a telly guy, you know, like a telecaster. Yeah. I've never owned a telecaster. Um, and the few times I've picked one up, um, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't seem to jive with me. <laughs> just something about the weight or the feel or the pickups. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. So that that's one that is, of course, really, really popular. A lot of people play tellies. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, it's just never that I've never had a desire to get one. I'll do a fun story maybe, about the Telecaster. <laughs> maybe that'll change at some point. Who knows? But up till now. So uh, Stephen Van Zant his guitar of choice was a Telecaster mm-hmm. and he started playing in obviously uh, Bruce Springsteen's band and Bruce Springsteen started playing a Telecaster and Stephen Van Zandt was like, well, crap, I, I guess this can't be my thing anymore. Oh. And that's why he plays Stratocasters. Now. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's cool. But no, I'm, I'm with you on that, obviously, because we talked about this where that's a guitar. So my first guitar was, well, the first rental was a Ibanez Les Paul copy, Gold Top, mm-hmm. which, if I remember correctly, I wish I would have kept that guitar. Mm. Because I was like, this is stupid. And when my rental was up at Denver Folklore Center? Is okay, that still yeah. a thing? Uh, Yeah, I believe so. They were like, well, you have enough credit for either the guitar you have been playing... Or this, I don't know how to describe it. It was a court guitar that was made to look like a Stratocaster, but had humbuckers that I think someone told me later were dirty finger humbuckers, if that means anything. And it was this white, almost like metallic finish and was ridiculously heavy. Mm. At one point, I was putting it on, and because I was a really uncoordinated, pubescent, 14-year-old boy, smacked myself in the mouth with it so hard that it left an indentation for one, for one of my braces on the guitar. Oh, man. Yeah, my mouth didn't stop bleeding for a while. Oh. I ended up giving that guitar away to someone in high school who was like, going to try and break it down and rebuild it. Mm-hmm. which I kind of wish I hadn't done because now it's like, that didn't sound terrible. Actually, I don't remember how it sounded, but come on, it was worth better than just giving it away. Um, But I, I, from that beginning stage, like before I got that court, I wanted a Telecaster and then went to 
Oh, I can picture the place. Over Kimber the This is Tad, I've been away from Denver for too long now. It's uh, <laughs> uh over by like two twenty five in Aurora. Not Aurora, crap. By the uh Denver Dumb Friends League, if that's still there. Okay, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh there was a big guitar shop. This is before Guitar Center and Musician's Friend. It was like the biggest place to go in the Denver metro area. Mm. And my dad took me there for a birthday present. And I'm like, I want to get a Telecaster. And the three I played that my dad could afford for me, which, again, is I was super spoiled. So thanks, Dad. I don't just like I don't, I don't like this very much. And then I played a Mexican Standard Strat Sunburst with the Maple Neck, and just was like, I don't know why I like this, but I really do. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> then after that, it's like, man, I really want a Gibson SG. Mm-hmm. And my dad had a Gibson SG. He was in college and ended up selling it at some point. And Crescendo Music. Had a 1974 Gibson SG for sale forever. Mm-hmm. And my dad bought it for both of us. And we restored it to original because my dad's actually good with his hands. That's where I'm not. And I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in the Newton Middle School Big Band or Jazz Band at this point. I'm going to play this guitar all the time and still preferred the Strat. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. So I was just let down. And as I told you, I think it was mostly just the thickness of the neck. I just, the SG just always felt too thin. And I want that back-ish just to kind of feel. Sure. But I I don't think I'll like it as much. Um, And I'll transition this into, (laughs) this is how I guess weird I am as far as instruments goes. With saxophone, my I got a Summer Mark VI. My dad got it for me for a graduation gift when I was in high school. But I never liked the sound of that particular instrument. And I always wanted a super balanced action. Mm-hmm. Which uh, my boy, Seamus Blake, still plays to this day. Oh, nice. And like, that, that's what I want. Also, uh, Eric Trujillo, who's still out in Denver... You may have heard of him, Tad. He uh, owns a, I think it's Mavita Strings, and he plays on saxophone. He teaches and stuff. He was playing Super Balance Action at that time. That's what I want, because he sounds great. Mm -hmm. And played around that Mark VI for a while. Some dude in Denver was like, I'll trade you a Super Balance Action, the saxophone I had for... Uh, sorry, my Mark VI for Super Balance Action, which I did, which I probably shouldn't have done. And I didn't like it. and ended up finding a guy at UNC, Northern Colorado, who was like, hey, I know a guy who wants the horn you have. I've got four or five different Selmers you can try out, and I'll trade you for them. And that's how I ended up with this behemoth, made in Paris, Europe brand Mark VI, silver saxophone i have now okay which is by saxophone standards ridiculously heavy (laughs) oh okay it's a tenor it is okay and still i'm like someday if i have some money 
I'm gonna find that perfect super balanced deck. Yeah, that's <laughs> like your your holy grail. It's like <laughs> your white grail. And I don't know if I'll ever find it. Well, I probably won't afford it and probably shouldn't spend money on it. But it's like, no. I like this horn I have. It's super unique. Um, remember the first time I played it, one of the techs at the shop in Windsor, Colorado, was like, that horn has guts. And that's what I've heard just tons of time is even playing it super quietly, it's just, you can hear it. <laughs> it's like... Wow. There's something better out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's like, uh, it's such a, even within a general model, each individual instrument is different. You know, it's, yeah. such, a, it's such an individual thing. It's like, you've got to find one that, that resonates with you, you know? And um, it's, I think uh, we probably all got like a, a dream instrument, even if it's not, if we don't know specifically what it is, it's just like, or if it's even the, real. The one, yeah. Right. Right. The one that's, that you're going to, that you're going to pick up and instantly connect with, yeah. you know, that's going to sound great and feel great and everything's going to be just right. You know? So, uh, so either you'll find it or it'll find its way to you, I guess. Maybe, which I think is my, well, I'm no longer fascinated with used gear because I'm like this is all a this is too much I can't handle this anymore. Yeah. But also it's like yeah, it's, eh, if if it's out there I should play it first. Also, it, it, it should be kind of it, it'll it'll find its way to you. And oh, make me think about Mike McCready, the lead guitar player for Pearl Jam. Uh huh. Was talking about when he was younger and had all and could just throw all sorts of money away when Pearl Jam held their first initial success was touring with you might know this Ted what are the like super famous years for Les Pauls and Strats like late 50s early 60s yeah yeah generally like a like a 59 yeah Paul is kind of a legendary year um 50 you know 57 strat or something like that yeah so he's going these places and blowing seven ten fifteen thousand dollars on these guitars mm -hmm. and taking them on tour with him and he said like as he got older going hey they just weren't functional as much like he felt bad because the guitar techs had to kind of fix them up all the time oh, okay and then when he got even older it was like why would i do that to these guitars <laughs> like, yeah Sure. Like touring is so hard on everything and he's subjecting these basically pieces of art to it. Yeah. Right. Sure. Ugh. Yeah, or like it might not be as, as stable and then you've got the all the changes of temperature and humidity and getting thrown around. Exactly. And... <laughs> That's the about that. Throwing them around. <laughs> yeah. It's kinda of like a you know, they get to be literally like antiques after a while. And it's like, you want to play it, you know, obviously it's, that's what it's for. It's a beautiful thing, but, but I could see why you might want to just play it at home, you know, depending how old it is and Yeah, out on the road for sure. The uh, wonderful artist who does my tattoo work is a musician and mainly guitar player, which else plays piano. And I was telling her about, never find anybody to prepare my saxophones because 
I just don't trust anyone out here because I don't know anybody. Like, mm-hmm. My guy is uh, Tim Glessman at Sax Alley in, of all places, Windsor, Colorado. Just amazing work. Uh, also, when he used to work, at, well, back to Eric uh, Trujillo, when he was at Colossi Music, was I was in there all the time in high school. Mm-hmm. And they're just, I, I, my horns and my babies, and I don't... <laughs> I, right. If I don't know anybody, I'm like, unless I can, I know someone who trusts you, I don't know. And so I was telling her about that, and she was like, well, how old are your horns? I'm like, well, one's from 1967, and the other one's from 1956. And wow. she was like, well, shouldn't you just get new ones? <laughs> and, uh, do you remember my friend uh, Matt, the trumpet player? Yeah, uh huh. He was in town uh, late last month. In fact, he'll be, I think he's going to be in town later next week. And I told him that story, and he couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of misreading the whole situation. Yeah, right. Why would you replace those? What? <laughs> well, most, yeah, it's different with, <laughs> with saxophones, right? I mean, I think, or, well, probably trumpets too, um, where it seems like most of the, Horn players that I've been around have old instruments. Like mm-hmm. Well, there's no electronics to replace. <laughs> Just like, yeah. as mm-hmm. long as the mechanical parts are fine, you're good. And the wood, there's not wood that's going to, you know, swell and contract and different things like that, too. There is. Uh, well, not in saxophones and trumpets. But, uh, if you're a... I had a bass clarinet that was made in like 1938. Wow. And the thing was a piece of crap. <laughs> sure. The wood was in good, great condition, which is what you always worry about. But the silver in the keys were so malleable that the thing would not stay in tune. Like not even saying say adjustment. Like it wouldn't play. Oh, wow. I sold that to someone who wanted it for a display. Wow, yeah. I bought it for $800 on the internet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and someone looked at it like, this is worth much more than you played it. I'm like, this is crap. Yeah. But for yeah. the most part, yeah, especially like brass and saxophones, it's yeah, those uh, those stick around. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I was I um, an upright, uh, a bass player I know, um, he has an upright um uh, bass from i think it was the 18 1880s or 1890s or something like that um from you know i think it's from like germany or something wow um but yeah it's just different you know I, i think uh it's definitely not like there can be there's a thing with vintage instruments where it's like things have to align for that to be a great instrument. Yeah. Really amazing. Um, And, and, but it's not, that's not always the case. Like you said, with that, with that clarinet where (laughs) sometimes it's, you sometimes if it's just depending what, what it's, what condition it's in, it might just be junk, you know? And so vintage isn't always the necessarily the, the holy grail you know but there are times when it comes together like those fenders and gibsons from the yeah late 50s mm-hmm. and with uh my saxophones 
it's mostly BS, but there's a, I'll post this with the show notes. There's a video of a guy playing Mark six saxophones in a, leave a cathedral in Montreal. And he's telling this mythology of how they were built with, the, I don't know if it's pre-war, but it, like he talks about you know, in France, they were using church bells to oh, okay. fund yeah. the war effort. Right. So a lot of the brass that early 50s saxophones were built with were made with recovered shells, which may have been from church bells, which... It's neither here nor there, but it's like it's it's kind of like, oh, this is super powerful. Uh, and to the story of my uh, Wobegon bass clarinet, that company was bought up by a much larger wind, uh, woodwind manufacturer a few years later. So it's probably the case that that manufacturer at the time was bad and was basically was uh, saved by someone else later, and that's why that was a bad instrument. <laughs> oh, okay, interesting. Uh, I've been trying to think, because we're about to hit the hour 30 mark here. Do you want to do a good thing of the week? Because mine isn't all that great, plus I've already shared it. Or would you just like to uh, maybe share some upcoming shows and stuff of yours? Sure. Well, yeah, I'll share a a good thing of the week um, for me. Um, like I said, I think it was this past weekend. Um, I kind of had like a on uh, Saturday. I kind of just had like the perfect day for my birthday. It was it was nice. Awesome. You know, just, uh, got up when I wanted to and did you know some took care of some plants and stuff I have here at home. Did some meditation and some. Um, visualization and enjoyed that time at the park and got to go out to dinner and celebrate at uh, my brother's house. And so that was just a, uh, yeah, that was something I was really, that sounds great. yeah, I was really grateful for that um, for sure. And then um, yeah, just playing that uh, blue gospel show this Saturday at university of Denver. Um, so that should be really fun. And um we Pan Astral just released a new single um, called All of the Color, and that's available on our uh, Bandcamp page in case anyone's interested in checking that out. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, how about you? What was your what was your good thing of the week? So my main good thing of the week was for whatever reason, when I have delved back into the saxophone, you know. It's been like, I'll get into it and get away for, for a few months. Get back into it and go away for a few months. And it always seems to be kind of work. But with the clarinet, this is last Friday, I found a ligature that doesn't even go to my clarinet mouthpiece and a reed that didn't quite work and just slapped it on there. It was like, hey, I don't actually sound half bad. Like, it was surprising. It sounded like clarinet. Mm-hmm. Like, huh? And then I played it for a couple people like online who'd never even heard me play before. Like, holy crap! <laughs> you play clarinet? That sounds amazing. It sounds like <laughs> Peter and the Wolf. It's like, huh. And it's just one of these things where I don't know if I'd been dreading it, but was just going, well, if the saxophone playing's been that kind of rough to get back into, 
how is the instrument that I was never really into going to be going to sound? Yeah. It doesn't sound half bad. Oh, nice. And it's just good. Just for, I guess, my own self-confidence. It's like, well, I, this stuff is, whether or not I can ever play, well, I probably won't even try to play gigs anymore. It's like, oh, this is cool. I, I can still kind of do this and noodling around and my ear picks up. I'm like, oh, that's how you play that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's cool. So that's been fun. Um, and uh, this is the most lame good thing of the week. But I have been, up until last summer, I worked out of an office that was essentially a shed. <laughs> so during the summer, I was just miserable. And I have a warehouse fan just blowing as hard as possible at me. Like I would... If there was paper in the office, I would nail it to the wall. Oh, man. And a few weeks ago, actually a few weeks, a few days ago, it's 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 just too hot. I can't think. So I bit the bullet and on my corporate uh, credit card just bought a AC unit. And it's the it's weird how you wouldn't think this would be a thing, but I get my work done so much faster when I'm not sitting in my office going Oh, it's too hot. Right. Just crank through it. And you know, this is Seattle where it doesn't really get hot, but I, mean, this, I work on the second floor of a warehouse where there's not much airflow and right. all the heat goes up there and I share an office with another dude. So it's right. pretty warm. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Nice. Yeah. That makes like sometimes those little improvements can make a world of difference, you know, for 300 bucks. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I most of the biz like anymore most of my job is putting together bids for new business mm -hmm. so when it's like that's I wouldn't even say like a drip in the bucket that's like an afterthought like why am I even worrying about that done sure <laughs> yeah that's 300 bucks well spent yeah just I won't even think about that in a couple of days right yeah nice right. well thanks Ted uh Thanks the conversation and listening to me ramble about saxophones. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's always uh, always a pleasure to to talk to you. I'm glad we got a chance. Of course. <laughs>